coming up on The Exam Room. You know, I said earlier, kind of jokingly, that knowing the difference between the fat in peanut butter and the fat in a cheeseburger might just save your life. But it sounds like, actually, jokes aside, that's pretty scarily accurate. If you look at a person who went feet first into the emergency room with a coronary, uh, a person who had a stroke, or a person who developed Alzheimer's disease, and life as we know it is lost forever. For those people, the saturated fats are the big drivers that we've seen in epidemiologic studies. That means dairy number one, meat number two, the tropical oils like coconut oil, palm oil number three. I would avoid those things completely. They're poisons and we shouldn't be consuming them. Now, we all grew up in cultures where that was part of our everyday fare. And that's why perhaps why my grandpa died at 62. You know, we thought, well, he's old. Well, we don't necessarily want to conclude that. If we avoid those bad fats, we focus on good fats, we'll do better, but the good fats should come as part of the food, not dribbled all over the top. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Portsmouth, Virginia, Brooklyn, New York, and Manila, Philippines. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 57 of season 6, number 453 overall. So, are you eating too much fat? And how much fat is too much anyway? And what's the good kind of fat and the bad kind of fat? Well, we are about to find out all of that. You know, there are four main types of fat in the diet that we're going to be getting into today. Monounsaturated polyunsaturated, saturated, and trans. Some types of fat are good, some are bad, some you need, and some, well, really, they might just be the end of you. But beyond that, we also, when we're talking about fat, have to talk about omega-3s and how high-fat diets can actually help you lose weight, but they come with a hidden cost, while low-fat diets can help you stay healthy, but even then you still need some fat to function at your best. So we are going to be cutting through all of the fat, all of the clutter today with Dr. Neil Barnard. He, of course, the author of Your Body Imbalance, and he joined me this week on The Exam Room Live. And as a reminder, you can always join us on The Exam Room Live Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. So let's get into this right now and take a deep dive into fat with Dr. Barnard. Glad to chew the fat with you, sir. <laughs> Great to be with you, Jack. Now, according to the World Health Organization, uh, both Europeans and North Americans, we eat a ton of calories, way more than we need, a little over 3,500 per day on average, according to the WHO. And a lot of those calories are definitely coming from fat. But the problem here, Dr. Barnard, as you and I discussed on the last episode when you were here, is that there's also a massive obesity boom and people are 
desperate to lose weight. And they're not going to do it eating a lot of these high-fat, high-calorie diets. So let's talk about fat today. Get through the confusion because I think by and large, correct me if I'm wrong, even though a lot of us are struggling with our weight, the majority of us still view fat as something that's really healthy and almost to be celebrated in our diet. Yeah, I think you've really touched on such an important thing. All fats are so dense in calories. They have more calories gram for gram than any other part of the diet. So all fats get kind of a caution. But as you said in the introduction, there are four main categories of fat that people need to know about. And to understand the difference, let's look at a molecule of fat under the microscope. If you had a really powerful microscope and you could look at a molecule of fat, it's actually a whole string of carbon atoms, one after another, after another, after another, and they are covered, this carbon chain, this carbon necklace, if you will, is covered with hydrogen atoms. Now, if every place where a hydrogen atom could fit is taken, if every seat on the bus is taken, that's what we call a molecule that's saturated with the hydrogen atoms. It's a saturated fat, okay? So all that means is that it's got all the hydrogen on it, and it's a big, messy fat. And you can, you can spot this at room temperature on your shelf. If you've got, say, some bacon grease in a jar, it's solid, it's waxy at room temperature. That means it's saturated fat. Now, let's say that a couple of those hydrogens have been removed, and in one spot they're gone. Then we call that monounsaturated. There's one spot that's empty, mono one. So that's gone, mono and saturated fat. So that's something like olive oil. Now, olive oil in your refrigerator is solid, right? If you've ever put olive oil in your fridge, it's waxy there. But when you put it on the shelf at room temperature, it's liquid. Okay? So saturated fat, solid everywhere, mono and saturated, liquid once it gets out of the fridge. And then what if a whole bunch of those hydrogen atoms have come off? And it's then polyunsaturated. Poly means many. So there's a lot of spots where it isn't, where the hydrogens are not there. That's liquid in the fridge, liquid on your shelf, and that's corn oil, peanut oil, safflower oil. There, it's, so visually, it's really easy to tell. You don't have to send them to a lab. And then there's one last type, and that's trans fats. Now, they are not fully saturated, but there's a certain confirmation of where the molecules are put on. Trans fats started out life as an innocent, polyunsaturated oil. And in the laboratory, they hardened it up to make margarine or something like that. And in the process, they made something that is about like lard for its effect on your cholesterol. It'll raise your cholesterol too. But there's one other thing I need to tell you, Chuck. It's these trans fats aren't just made in a junk food factory. They're also made in the stomach of a cow. That's right. Ruminant animals produce trans fats. So meats and dairy products have trans fats in them. Even though the government won't allow you to put them in a candy bar anymore, you'll still get them if you're a meat eater or a dairy consumer. So those, Chuck, those are the four main types of fats that people need to know about. I did not know that about trans fats uh, being naturally produced in the stomach of a cow. So we have said many times on this show before that cheese is among the least healthy foods that a person could possibly eat. I would imagine the trans fat issue then would be a big part of the reason why. It, it is. And, and what you said, Chuck, is exactly right. People have no idea. They think, wait a minute, didn't this start with New York banned trans fats from the fryers and stuff? And, and that, that's all true. And the FDA took action too. But to this day, they green light trans fats if it comes from the dairy industry or the meat industry. No, don't get me wrong. There's not a huge amount in these products, but there's a, a significant amount in addition to all the saturated fat that they have. 
All right. Now, is it possible of those four to kind of lump them into two different buckets, good fats and bad fats? Trans uh, definitely is going to go in the bad bucket, but kind of just clear it up, brass tax us the other three. You got it. A- absolutely. Trans fats, bad. Why are they bad? Because they're going to raise your cholesterol hands down. Saturated fat goes right with them. The saturated fat, dairy is the number one source of that, and meat is number two. The saturated fats increase your cholesterol as well. So those are really the baddies. The monos and the polys are in the good category with regard to your cholesterol. So that's the beginning. But uh, once we start looking beyond the effects on cholesterol, then they all are issues of concern because they all have nine calories per gram. Good fats and bad fats are all in kind of the bad category when it comes to your weight. All right. Now let's... Let's talk about the oils here for a minute, because a lot of us assume that something like olive oil is healthy. We chalk it up to that. And then we also have things like coconut oil, palm oil, which we have talked about previously on the show are unhealthy. So if you were to rank the types of oils out there, what would you say falls into that healthy category? What is kind of like in that yellow, maybe proceed with caution? And then what are the ones that you definitely want to get rid of? Okay, great question. Definitely want to get rid of coconut oil, palm oil, get rid of them. And and this is going to drive you crazy because when you go to the store and you look at the foods that they are promoting, so many of them have palm oil and coconut oil added. Why? Because they have a buttery mouthfeel. They got a long shelf life. And the problem is that your shelf life is not any longer if you consume these things because they definitely raise cholesterol. You will hear people say, coconut fat, it's natural, whatever. Well, I mean, so is a tornado. Um, The the problem is that that it will raise your cholesterol level. So avoid coconut oil, avoid palm oil, and don't buy products that have them. Now, with regard to the other plant oils, they're all much better, regardless of, of the type. But none of them is really perfect. So let's say I've got chicken fat. Chicken fat is a mixture. It's got some saturated fat. Maybe about 30% of that chicken fat is saturated fat. The other is a mixture of different kinds of unsaturated fat. All right, compare olive oil. Olive oil is not 30% saturated fat the way chicken fat is. It's about 14. And the other, what, 86% of the olive oil is other healthier fats, monounsaturates mostly. So they're all mixtures. And so if I really want to get the saturated fat out of my diet, you know what I need to do? I need to avoid the dairy products and the meats. But I also need to minimize even the vegetable oils too, because they have some of that saturated fat mixed in. Right. But somebody I can hear right now is like, I hear you. Let's limit the fats altogether, but wouldn't say an olive oil fry or a French fry fried in something like olive oil be healthier than something that was fried in lard or in Crisco? Yeah, it it absolutely would. Um, And typical cigarettes are are bad and the light tar ones are maybe less bad. Um, But the fact of the matter is you don't need these fats. Keep in mind, if if we're thinking, wait a minute, isn't olive oil natural and, and, and isn't this fine? Wait, it's not natural. An olive is natural, and an olive has some fat in it, but did you ever sit down and pig out on 25 olives? No, you didn't. You know, you eat some and you stop eating. But when they develop develop factories to take 10,000 olives and express out all the oil and concentrate it and put it in a bottle and sell it to people, or the same with corn, to find a way to extract corn oil, 
Um, these are refined products in the same way as sugar that comes from sugar cane has all the fiber removed and now you've got concentrated sugar. If you have concentrated oil, even if you can think of it as a good fat, it's in a form that is overwhelming your biology. It's something that, that nature never had in mind for you. So that's the reason we're concerned about these fats. You do need a certain amount of good fat. Their names are alpha-linolenic acid and alpha, I'm sorry, alpha-linolenic acid and linoleic acid. This will not be on the test. Um, but those fats are in plant foods and you get the amounts you need even without adding any extra fat because they're traces of them in foods naturally. But once you're overdoing it with these oils, if you're frying that French fry and it's busily soaking up good fat, there are traces of bad fat with it too, way beyond what nature ever intended for you to have. All right. Uh, if I'm you're enjoying this you video, well, Chuck, I, know I this mean, is, you know, <laughs> this is kind of creepy for people to hear about. It, it, it is, but it's also an important conversation. You know, it, it really is because there there is just so much confusion because now I hear you say all of this, but then we also have people in the chat room already who are like, well, I know of friends, I know of family members who have gone on the keto diet, really high protein diets, and they've lost a tremendous amount of weight. So they're eating a lot of fat. They're still losing weight. How in the world is that possible? Is that even healthy? It's not healthy. It is possible. Um, and here's how you do it. Right now, if you take a person who's not on any kind of diet, roughly half of what they eat is carbohydrate. About half of their calories come from carbohydrate. So let's say a person eats roughly 2,000 calories a day. 1,000 calories are carbohydrate. They read a keto book that says, if you go on a low-carb diet, you'll lose weight. So they take those thousand calories worth of carbohydrate and they stop eating them. They stop eating most of them. And they discover that despite the fact that there is still fat and protein in their diet, they're losing weight. They do. But that doesn't mean that the protein or the fat helped them lose weight. That's just what's left after they took away the other half of their diet. So no, that, that's not a particularly healthy way to go. And a lot of people do keto by going on this diet where they're um, eating more fat and so forth. And if they increase it too much, they don't lose weight at all. And over the long run, if you look at what happens to people who stuck with this way of eating for a while, uh, they, they get in a bit of a weight roller coaster and they typically end up heavier than they started because they've learned bad eating habits. And how much fat should we be targeting in our diet? Does it depend on our age? Does it depend on our height? Does it depend on our weight? What's, you know, is it a moving target? What's, what's the goal here? The amount that you need is not exactly known, but it's around two, three, four percent of your calories, something like that, not more than that. And to get there, if you eat beans, vegetables, fruits, in any, if they're a big part of your diet, you will get all of the traces of fat that you need without adding any fat at all. Now, I know, I know that sounds funny, but if you send a sprig of broccoli to a laboratory and you say, there isn't any fat in there, is that? They'll, they'll write back and they'll say, wait, 7 or 8% of its calories are fat and mostly good fats. Uh, Omega-3, that's the alpha-linolenic acid. It's right there in broccoli, it's in spinach, it's in all the green leafy vegetables. And if we include them in a big way, you're going to get not only all the fat you need, the type you get is going to be maximally healthy for you. Now, don't freak out. You're at an Italian place and they they splooshed a little bit of, of uh, some olive oil on your salad or something like that. I wouldn't necessarily get a napkin and wipe it all off. But on the other hand, you don't want to be adding huge amounts of any kind of fat. So bottom line, avoid the animal fats, avoid coconut and palm oil. They're bad.
The plant fats are always better for you, but they are all nine calories per gram. So if you overdo it on any of them, you're, you're going to have more difficulty losing weight. That's fascinating to me. And what what has the research that we've done at the Physicians Committee and other research that you're familiar with said about that? Because I do believe, I mean, even prepping for the show that we're doing today, I was reading somewhere where guidelines were saying like most people should be getting about 20% of their calories from fat, which is a lot more than the 2 to 3% you were just talking about. Yeah. The amount that I'm describing is what your body actually physically needs. And for most people, they never get down that low um, because, um, because there's, there are traces of fat and lots and lots of things they eat. But, you know, Chuck, there's one other thing that's really important to remember. When people talk about monounsaturate, like olive oil, that's, that's better than lard. True enough. But what they're really focusing on is, is just your heart health and your cholesterol level. Let's go further. When we talked about your weight, they all have the same effect. Doesn't matter what kind of fat it is, nine calories per gram. When it's diabetes, what fat does now is the fat is getting into your muscle cells and stopping your insulin from working. Now, saturated fat is probably the worst. But the polyunsaturates or monounsaturates like canola oil, they can interfere with insulin action also. So when it comes to your heart, saturated, worst. When it comes to something like diabetes, the fat that gets into your muscle cells is the the problem here. Saturates are worse, but the other things are, are part of the problem too. And you know about our work, of course, on menopause and on hormonal problems where we use plant-based diets and we minimize oils. There we have found that adding too much of any kind of oil gets in the way as well. So uh, it depends a little bit on which condition you're looking at, which foods are the worst. But by and large, if we're not adding extra fats to things, whether they came from a hunk of meat or they came from a slice of cheese or they came in a bottle from a factory. If we're not adding those fats, we're going to be best off. So let's kind of boil this down uh, before we open up the doctor's mailbag. I said a little bit earlier that kind of jokingly almost that knowing the difference between the type of fat in a cheeseburger and in a peanut might just save your life. But based off of what it is you and I have been talking about here for the last, oh, 15 minutes or so, it sounds like that's actually pretty daggone like straight on. It's, it's a fact. If you look at a person who went feet first into the emergency room with a coronary, uh, a person who had a stroke, or a person who developed Alzheimer's disease, and life as we know it is lost forever. For those people, the saturated fats are the big drivers that we've seen in epidemiologic studies. That means dairy number one, meat number two, the tropical oils like coconut oil, palm oil number three. I would avoid those things completely. They're poisons and we shouldn't be consuming them. Now, we all grew up in cultures where that was part of, what, of our everyday fare. And that's why perhaps why my grandpa died at 62. You know, we thought, well, he's old. Well, we don't necessarily want to conclude that. If we avoid those bad fats, we focus on good fats, we'll do better. But the good fats should come as part of the food, not dribbled all over the top of it. All right. Note to self, do not eat the entire jar of peanut butter. Right. Duly noted. <laughs> thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> well, you know, take, take that jar of peanut butter. Turn it around. You'd think there's peanuts in it, right? There are. But probably the number two ingredient is palm oil. It, it, it wasn't this way a few years ago. But now you go into the store and you look at the big brands. It's palm oil or it's hydrogenated oils. In a factory, they gave it a mouthfeel that the peanuts alone didn't have. So if the peanut oil you're eating is from a peanut, dramatically better. Mm. 
Good to know. And and it is still, I mean, despite the fact that a lot of the popular brands have a lot of added ingredients, the sugars, the fats, even a lot are adding salt to it. It's still relatively easy. I think you can go to literally any grocery store in the country and find a natural jar of peanut butter where the only ingredient is still peanuts. It's still kind of easy right. to find. And that's the one we should be aiming for, mm-hmm. correct? You got it. All right. Before we open up the doctor's mailbag, quick ask of the exam roomies who are joining us live. And that is, if you're liking the information you're learning, if you feel like you're raising your health IQ right now, go ahead and like this video and subscribe to the Physicians Committee's uh, Facebook page and YouTube channel. Go ahead and do that. And that really will go as such a long way to helping to raise the health IQs, not just your own, but then it helps to get this information in front of people who are really searching for those answers. Maybe Dr. Barnard, they've been going up and down the scale for years and years and years, and they just want to get off of that diet roller coaster. It shows like this that can really help people achieve their their health goals. So if you could just go ahead and take a second to like the video, you know, click on that little heart and then that subscribe button, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Really quickly here, I want to go back to a segment from last week's show. We're talking about fat today. Well, as you know, there is a ton of fat in hot dogs. And I asked Dr. Robin Chutkin, who was our guest on the exam room live last week, what is going to happen to those contestants who participated in the July 4th hot dog eating contest? And this year's winner, Joey Chestnut, ate 62. The record was 76. He said that a couple of years ago, but he ate 62 hot dogs yesterday. And I asked Dr. Robin Chutkin, what was going to happen to him from a gastrointestinal perspective? And then when we come out of that, Dr. Barnard, I would love to know just what's going to happen from that fat bomb perspective to his insides, even though he's a relatively thin guy. The record in 10 minutes was set by a guy by the name of Joey Chestnut, ate 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. And I'm just curious, as a gastroenterologist, if you could tell us what kind of holy hell they're putting their digestive tract through. Hot dogs are just all the ground up animal parts, whether it's a pork or a beef. So it's literally like, you know, pig penis and hoof and all the kind of wasted cuts, like not the prime pork shoulder, whatever, right? It's all those leftover bits ground up. They've got chemicals in them, sulfates, nitrates, all kinds of emulsifiers and fillers. So I cannot think of something worse to put in my body. So you're going to induce some stretching of the stomach. You're going to induce some reflux. And because hot dogs have a high fat content, food with a high fat content, typically animal protein, animal fat, slows down the emptying of the stomach. It sends a message to a little bundle of nerves called the gastric pacemaker that determine how quickly our stomach empties and slows it down. So you're inducing something called gastroparesis, uh, which is a, you know, a pathologic condition of slow stomach emptying. Then let's talk about what it's doing to the microbiome. We know from a study that was published in the journal Nature several years ago that the changes in the microbiome are evident about 30 hours after food hitting the gut. So if you switch, for example, from a high animal protein, high animal fat diet to a plant-based vegan diet, within about 30 hours, you start to see levels of the microbes associated with inflammation dropping. You start to see the levels of the good Fecalobacterium prosnitzii, the ones that produce short-chain fatty acids, increasing. And those changes 
affect our genes. So when the microbiome changes, it turns different genes on and off. And so, yes, you can actually be creating more lasting damage with doing that kind of gorging. And remember, nobody just shows up for the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest cold. They've been practicing. And what have they been doing to practice? They've been eating lots of hot dogs. So this is like, to me, it makes me think of like Gladiator and people, you know, the gladiators (laughs) fighting to the death, right? Like eating hot dogs to the death. Please don't do this. Right. That's a good tip. Please don't eat hot dogs to the death. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I've crunched some numbers while Dr. Chuck was talking, right? So we, we just heard about what's going to happen with them uh, with their digestive tract. But let's talk specifically here, just from a fat perspective. Um, there's about 16 grams of fat in each one of the hot dogs that he ate yesterday. Total fat. And so he ate 62. That's almost one thousand grams of fat in the span of 10 minutes even though the guys on the slimmer side dr barnard and there were some other contestants who had straight up six packs i still can't imagine that despite the fact on the outside they look one way their inside must be really hurting from a fat and cholesterol perspective well a thousand grams of fat times nine calories per gram that's 9,000 calories. That's, that's an enormous one. There's nothing you can do that's going to defy the laws of thermodynamics. That's going to be a recipe for weight gain. However, um, the event is one day, and even if they're practicing, um, if they're doing this rarely, um, their weight might may not change to a dramatic degree. And there are slim people who are eating hot dogs here and there. The bigger problem is what's happening. If this is part of your life on a routine basis, and the answer here is not just obesity, but it's colorectal cancer. The processed meats, that's hot dogs, that's bacon, that's sausage. As, as we have discussed before, these are group one class, uh, carcinogens classified by the World Health Organization. It's not, do they cause cancer or don't they? We think maybe they do. They do. Uh-uh. The evidence is listed as convincing, just like cigarettes and lung cancer, processed meats, colorectal cancer. There's also substantial evidence for breast cancer and from some other things that you wouldn't think of related to food. COPD, the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease where your lung tissue is being attacked. And that's the the processed meats will affect that as well. There are a number of studies showing that. Also bad for your heart. So if you're not in a Coney Island eating contest, but these foods are part of your routine, bits and bits of it every single day, it's like you're not smoking five packs a day, but you're smoking a half a pack every day. Are you at risk for higher? Are you at higher risk for heart disease? Absolutely. So the bad thing is that these eating contests glorify uh, these products, and uh, people think of them as sort of fun or celebratory or something like that. When actually, it's just it's uh, part of the poison. You know that actually they they have a women's competition before the men's also. And you brought up the the risk of uh, breast cancer there, and I'm right. I'm curious if there has ever been a study done. I doubt that there has been on competitive eaters and uh, their their rates of chronic disease, including breast cancer. I would imagine, I would imagine there would be some interesting results there. One would think there very likely would be. What what we have done is we have seen um, studies of women who are just women in everyday life. And there have been quite a number of studies showing that, yes, the processed meats, and again, that's bacon, sausage, which a lot of people will have going out on on the weekend or even at home, uh, having breakfast out somewhere, sausage, bacon, hot dogs, ham, bologna, uh, the the little meat 
uh, items that are added to your pizza. All of those processed meats are linked to breast cancer. And when we summarize these in meta-analyses where we take all the evidence and add it up together, it's really very convincing that these are foods that we just shouldn't be eating. All right, let's go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag. If you have a question for Dr. Barnard, now's the time to drop it in the comments or in the chat. We'll start with a question from Deb at 1219, talking about fat. You're going to get a lot of that on the keto diet. And she says, I know keto is unhealthy, but I heard that as you get older, you need more protein. And I just worry that tofu and beans are not enough. What can you say to the someone who is concerned like Deb about not getting enough protein while still adhering to a plant-based diet and wanting to keep their fat levels low? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm glad you've asked it because a lot of people do ask this question and you do need protein in your diet. And some people have suggested that older folks might, might need a little bit extra, uh, which is often because older folks are more sedentary. So they're not exercising very much. They're not burning calories. And so their portion sizes tend to diminish because they're just not, they're just not hungry. Uh, but you'll get the protein that you need from grains and beans and vegetables. Those foods have more than enough protein, even if you're not adding any animal products at all and you're not going for protein powders. So I wouldn't worry about protein at all. Now, if you want to increase the protein in your diet, good. As you said, tofu, tempeh, all the soy products are the granddaddies of protein. And yes, you'll get more than enough. Um, and the bean group in general is very, very high in protein, but I wouldn't worry about protein. You'll get more than you need. All right, let's go back to uh, specific kinds of fat. We have a few people wondering about coconut milk and whether that could be a healthy option. I know that sometimes, Dr. Barnard, I'll go to the store, I'll flip it over and look at the nutrition label. Anything that's got coconut milk in it seems to have way more fat. It does. Um, it, and it's, it's really a shame, unfortunately. The, the good news is that the dairy case isn't the dairy case anymore. There's every kind of plant milk in there. The bad news is that because people have inappropriately worried about soy, they somehow got the idea that soy was a problem. Although soy is, is good, soy reduces cancer risk. It's a fine product, but it's been edged out by whatever is the, the kind of the faddish plant milk of the day. And today, a lot of it is coconut milk. But turn the carton around and look at the fat content and then look at how many of those fat grams are saturated fat. A typical serving might be something like five grams of fat, of which four, four and a half, or all five are saturated fats, the bad fat that you don't want. It's a fad. It's not good for you. So I would not buy the coconut items. All right. Jane at 1219 is speaking to the hummus lovers among us. Jane's question. I'm wondering if the oil from tahini is bad for us and will clog up our arteries like olive oil and canola oil. Okay. Great question. Um, tahini is made from sesame seeds and sesame seeds have polyunsaturated oil. That's a good fat, but you're anticipating the next issue, which is, wait a minute, if I'm grinding up a thousand sesame seeds and I'm taking up uh, out that, that oil, could I be getting too much? The answer is yes, you, you certainly could. If you put some sesame seeds on your salad, you're getting a little bit, you're getting the traces that nature wanted for you. But if you're having uh, lots of tahini, it's more concentrated. What I can suggest is when you go to the store, read the labels, choose the ones that are lowest in fat, or get a food processor, even the cheap ones work, and you can make your own hummus in about five minutes. There's nothing to it. But it's, it's just some chickpeas, a little bit of tahini for flavoring, and whatever other ingredients you might want to add to it. It whips up in just a couple of minutes, and then you're controlling the fat content. 
You know what I had for the first time over the weekend was uh, curry hummus. And I was like, oh my God, this is just the next level, the most delicious thing ever. It was amazing, man. Have you had that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you, you can give it a little zip if you want. You can put extra garlic if you want to. Um, you can put red peppers in it. You can color in different things. Some people would, will put beets in it or they'll have partly chickpeas partly pinto beans. You can experiment with it. And what you may also want to do is, you know how some hummuses are kind of stiff, others are more watery. You can control that as you make it if you do it in a food processor. It takes no time. You can, on a Saturday, make a whole bunch of little tubs of it, and then you're set for the week. So very, very cool. Costs practically nothing. TG at 1215. Speaking of things that some people believe should have their own food group, TG, you know what I hear a lot? Butter is good for you. And we can't have a discussion about fat without bringing butter into the equation and bringing this old myth back to the table. Butter is good for you. Your retort, Dr. Barnard. Yeah, well, the dairy industry is always saying, you know, don't use some things like margarine, use butter. Don't use things like oil, use dairy milks and things like that. Um, butter started out life as milk. And so what that means is this, the fat in it is mostly saturated fat that leads to heart disease and is linked to Alzheimer's disease. But the other thing, keep in mind, as we've talked about on this program before, cows on dairies are impregnated every year because that's what keeps the milk production going. And they are milked into their pregnancy, which means that the estrogens they are making during pregnancy get into the milk and into the butter. So smear some butter on your bread. And what are you doing? You're smearing a lot of saturated fat plus female sex hormones onto the butter. And then you're going to give this to your son, your daughter, somebody you love. Mm -mm. I, I, I would suggest a better choice. So what'd you have for breakfast? Oh, man, uh, didn't expect that to be on your toast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, people, you know, people forget this, Chuck. This is really an important thing. You know, very often uh, you go to the pediatrician and make you feel guilty if you're not giving your kid dairy products. But you have to say to the pediatrician, do you realize you're asking me to give my six-year-old son estrogens in a glass of milk? My seven-year-old daughter, estrogens, when we know that lifetime exposure to these things is linked to higher cancer risk and all kinds of other issues, your kid does not need to be drinking estrogens from a cow. It's entirely a cultural thing. It has nothing to do with health. By the way, what do we know about fat and fat requirements for little kids? We had somebody earlier in the chat, a woman by the name of Millie, who was wondering about what about coconut oil for infants and toddlers because she said she knows that fat is super healthy, quote unquote, for little ones. She was a little bit curious about that. Sorry, um, no, it's, they don't need coconut oil any more than their parents or their grandparents needed coconut oil. The brain does have fat in it. It uses fat, but it does not need the saturated fat. There is no human requirement for the saturated fat in a coconut or a palm or dairy or meat. Saturated fat has, your body does not need it at all at any age. Now, the baby does have a slightly higher fat requirement, but your baby will still get that, um, first of all, from breast milk during prior to the time of weaning, and then from the solid foods that, that your child is eating. This idea that they have to be, get some tsunami of fat in order to protect their brains um, isn't true at all. Go back a generation. Back before westernization in Japan, the fat content of the diet in Japan was not 30, 35% like it is in the United States. It was way under 10% because they were eating huge amounts of rice and vegetables and, and no dairy, basically, not much meat, some fish. Their fat content of the diet was very, very low. 
and there was no intellectual impairment whatsoever. Um, they did better than Americans on just about every measure. All right, let's circle back to Butter here. Take a question from Roxina at 12.11. Wants to know, what is the difference between margarine, which you just talked about, and the plant-based butters that you see on the shelf? Okay, um, there may not be any difference. Margarine is just uh, a word for a variety of butter substitutes that came in years ago when butter was particularly expensive and people wanted to save money with margarine. Um, And some of the older margarines were made from trans fats and various other kinds of fat. And then you'll still see them on the on the shelves today. There are a variety of ways of making them solid. But look at the label. And if it's basically fat, that's something that you really want to want to minimize in your diet. I want to send a quick good thought and keep the fingers crossed for Karen at 1201 says, Hubby and I are getting our annual physical results tomorrow, and I cannot wait to see if there's any continuing progress on lowering my cholesterol. Sounds like Karen's been eating that healthy plant-based diet, so knock on wood that uh, things are going in the right direction. I, I suspect tomorrow may be a good day, Karen. Good luck. Deborah, 1211. Okay, back to peanut butter, man. We really touched on something here. If I do not have a weight problem, Deborah says, what is the limit of peanut butter in a day? Apparently, Deborah loves her some PB. Well, what, what are the issues with regard to peanut butter that we, or, or fats in general, as we mentioned? One is that they can affect your, your weight. Um, one is that, and and if, if that's not an issue for you, fair enough. They can affect your cholesterol, although because it's from a nut, it's dramatically better than if, if it's from an animal product. Um, they will, ha- they for some people will trigger hormonal issues like insulin resistance leading to diabetes or the hormonal issues leading to reproductive issues in women, particularly. If you're free of all those things and you want to have a little bit of peanut butter here and there, knock yourself out. Uh, Lee, twelve thirty-eight. Avocado oil is that better than olive oil in your opinion, or is oil oil? Uh, they're about the same. Um, the avocado oil is very much like the oil that came out of an olive. It's it's mostly that monounsaturated type. Uh, so the effects on the heart pretty negligible. The effects on your waistline bad as butter. Yeah, and and we do honestly. There's a little bit of a debate right now going on that um, talks about some of the areas that uh, are considered blue zones and how uh, they have olive oil as a staple in their diet, and yet they're still able to have this healthy, long-lasting life. Um, is that kind of the exception to the rule, or or what else is at play that might make olive oil like a you know, pop up on the healthy radar there, but not necessarily here. When Ansel Ansel Keys, the Minnesota researcher who coined the term Mediterranean diet, when he did that, it was the mid-1950s. And he fell in love with a village in in Italy called Nicotera. And if you go back to post-World War II Nicotera, Italy, the fat content of their diet was about 23% of calories. In other words, it was a low-fat diet. Now, when they used fat, they used olive oil, but they didn't have shells filled with high, high amounts of, of olive oil that they could drench their foods with. This was an economically disadvantaged country that was in, in the process of trying to rebound from the disaster of World War II. Um, and so at that time, when they were eating, chickpeas and bread and salads and and not a lot of animal products and cheese hadn't really invaded because this was southern Italy. This was not up, you know, in the in the northern areas. Um, they had a much healthier diet than people do today. And so the fact that they preferred olive oil over butter didn't mean they were eating large amounts of it. Today, people think, well, if I'm going to do a Mediterranean diet, I should slather things in olive oil. That was that was actually never the original idea. 
All right. And let's wrap things up and see if we can get June some help here. 1210 says, Hi, Chuck and Dr. Barnard. When I am eating a high-fiber plant-based diet, I always end up craving high-fat foods. Why is this happening and what can I do to combat it? Hmm, interesting. Okay. Yeah, cool. That's cool. Um, we very often will go through a period of missing w the, the foods to which we had become habituated. You see this with salt. If you try to reduce your salt intake, the next day, the day after that, and the day after that, foods taste bland because your your body, your taste buds really wanted the salt taste that they had, had uh, become, become accustomed to. If you stick with it, you'll get used to it. And then you'll discover you're much more attuned to salt and then you'll, you'll, you'll be at a new set point. This happens with sugar. It happens with fat. Let's say you've got a family of kids and they're all drinking whole milk. And you say, we're going to just go from whole milk to skim milk. At first, they will complain. It doesn't taste right. It's watery. It looks blue. After about two weeks, they're used to it. And then if you bring whole milk in, they'll hate that because it tastes fatty. Here's my point. You're trying to cut the fat but your body isn't quite there with it. Your taste buds are not quite there and you're still craving the fat that you got accustomed to. Stick with it. Your tastes will accommodate. They'll get used to it and then you'll come to prefer that taste. It's sort of like a person who, like me, grew up in North Dakota and uh, we never add fat back to our, our green beans or our spinach or something like that. When you go down to Atlanta and they find all the foods are served that way, your taste buds don't want it at all. And the converse is true too. From somebody from the if somebody from the south who's accommodated to those fatty foods went up north, they wouldn't like it. So the point is, you will accommodate to what you have been consuming over the last couple of weeks. Stick with it, you'll see. And let me just double down on everything you just said, Dr. Barnard, as a guy who struggled with that for years and ate those 10,000 calories and God only knows how many grams of fat every single day, you are spot on. Time will be your friend. You just have to be patient, June. I promise you, you're going to be okay. And Julie is writing in, says, watching live for the first time and so excited to see you both again. Your LA visit was epic. So Julie was at the email. Awesome. Thanks for coming. And and she says, I hope New York City goes well as well. Now, New York City, we are doing the show live and in person one week from today on July 12th. And Dr. Barnard, we're talking a lot about fat today. And I'm sure that the conversation is going to continue next week because we are literally doing the most heart healthy night of your life. You're going to be there with me. Uh, we're going to have Dr. Robert Osfeld. He's going to be there. Phenomenal cardiologist, Dr. Michelle McMacken. She's going to be there. And of course, our great friend, Rip Esselstyn from Plant Strong is also going to be there. Man, I cannot wait for this. It's going to be so much fun. We've really got the power hitters on our side and we're going to have a, a huge crowd there. It's going to be the event. The event is an understatement. It, it is the event to end all events. It is the most heart-healthy night of your life. Tickets are on sale right now, my friend. PCRM.org slash events or click that link that is in the show description or in the episode notes. And a little birdie tipped me off, Dr. Bond, that we once again have people flying in from all over the country and even Canada to join us. We have people coming from California and Colorado coming up from Florida, New Jersey, which is right there, Ohio. 
Ohio, so many other states, they're all coming in to reap the healthy benefits, to raise their health IQ with us. Illinois, I just, I cannot wait, man. This is so great. And what excites me more than anything is that people are so jazzed up to take control of their health. That means the world to me. Well, I got to tell you, Chuck, it's, it, it's wonderful for the experts to be able to give their best information and their best experiences, but it's also so interactive. You get a chance to talk with, with everybody, to get to know each other before the event starts, after the event, and, and so forth. It is really such a fun party. I can't wait, Chuck. Party is the right word. So pcrm.org slash events or click that link in the episode notes, the show description. Join us. Be part of the party, man. It's going to be a great, great, great time. Hope to see you there one week from today on July 12th at the Museum of the City of New York. Beautiful, right by Central Park, man. Just cannot wait. Just cannot wait. I want to take a second to say thank you to our friends, Dr. Barnard, over at the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for making today's episode possible. You know, over at the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund, they support organizations just like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while also emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and benefit people. So they are truly doing a world of good, and you can learn all about them right now online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, fund.org. And believe it or not, I have been told that Allison Mahoney from the Ryder Fund will also be in the house next week in New York, Dr. Barnard. That is so fantastic. I got to tell you, Greg had such a warm heart for, for people and for animals in so many ways. And Allison has carried that forward so beautifully. So can't wait to see her and everybody in New York next week. Dr. Barnard, I want to say thank you to you one more time for being here, raising our health IQs and cutting through all of the fat confusion. Thank you, Chuck. Once again, The Exam Room Live every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. And if you are looking to make a career move, how about this? We have an opening for a research and regulatory affairs associate to join our RAD team. Yes, that's the actual name of this department, RAD. And they play a key role in shining light on more human-focused and compassionate research. So this position assists with research support and writing, also helping out other team members and coordinating surveys and working with our external members, those who support the Physicians Committee, and really hope to move the needle. We want to move that needle to those more compassionate, more human-focused research methods. And if that sounds like something you would be interested in doing, join our team. Apply right now, pcrm.org careers. And also while you're there, you can see a full list of our open positions. And there's a link for you in the episode notes. So yeah, we did. We talked a lot about fat today. But let's mix things up a little bit to close things out. I have some good news to share with you about the benefits of a plant-based diet and your lungs, specifically lung cancer. Check this out. This piece of good news comes to us from a new study at the Shanghai Hospital of China Medical University. And the study finds that a plant-based diet can reduce the risk of death for people recently diagnosed with lung cancer. So among the nearly 450 patients who received a recent diagnosis for the study, those who closely adhered to a healthful plant-based diet had a 34% lower risk of dying. 
and that healthful diet, it focuses on limiting processed food in addition to animal-based food. So absolutely fantastic news there. And of course, researchers have known for some time that a plant-based diet can be particularly protective against other types of cancers, specifically digestive cancers like pancreatic and colorectal. Awesome. Awesome findings there. Love me some new research. Love me some new research. But we're going to keep things on the short side today and end on that happy note. So that is going to wrap things up, my friends. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here and raising our health IQs and really clearing up that fat confusion. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Oh, 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 oh,